2013, 6D Helmets forever changed the way we think about motorcycle safety helmets. With its patented omnidirectional suspension system to help absorb rotational impacts, the original ATR1 helmet swept through the industry and was received with open arms by riders and racers alike. The new 60 ATR2 and ATR2 Youth are even better than the original and carry a limited three-year warranty and a unique technology that allows the helmet to be rebuilt after most crashes. Visit 60helmets.com for more info. Uh, okay, Honovich, uh, joining me this week as always is Don Maeda and Chase Curtis, and we're going to recap the 2020 San Diego Supercross. So me and Don were there in person, hit the pits, you know, did the long walk back and forth from Petco Park to the pit long area. Long walk. Long walk. <laughs> while Chase got to post up at home because there's no point in bringing him down to struggle back and forth. I think, Chase, by the time you got from the stadium one time and back to the pits, the whole night would have been over probably. Yeah, I don't want to get tripped by some kid on a crutch, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, great, another great night of racing. That's six in a row, new main event winner in the 450 class. Ferranda strings another hey, one guys, along. You'll never guess who just called on my call waiting. Who was that? Jason Lawrence. <laughs> Are you serious? No. Well, way. he calls. He calls like once every like two months. Um, I'll have to see what this one's about. But let's go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. Let's I talk mean, about the long walk. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Now that you have everybody's attention with the Jason Lawrence thing, they're just gonna fast forward to the end to figure out what he said. Yeah, we we might wouldn't just drop the whole San Diego talk and continue with the Jason Lawrence talk and just talk about what he could be up to. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, actually, actually, he's helping a kid in his hometown uh, with his riding as a kid that's going to race Supercross Futures, I guess. And I think that's what he's calling about because he's texting me recently oh. as well. But you never know. Let's see. I'll call him after we're done here. Okay. Keep <laughs> us posted. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, back to the night as it was in San Diego. A uh, lot of things to talk about, especially as the 250 guys get ready for a six-week break as we go to the East Coast now. So, Ferrandis ends it with a, another win good battle with Austin Forkner for position um, and a close pass that got a lot of people in the stadium kind of upset. Don, you and I are there. and You every... know what? If, if Dylan had whole shot and ran away with every lap, people still would have booed because people are dumb. Oh, yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. But the pass, yep. I think there was no controversy involved in that pass. I mean, we've seen photos of it. Like Dylan dove in there, still has feet on the pegs, no contact. Furthermore, no you know, Austin was a great sport about it, you know, said it was his fault for leaving the door open. Didn't claim any, like, you know, uh, aggressive pass on himself or anything. And he uh, he and Dylan shook hands on the podium. And so I thought it was a perfectly great pass. And sucks that people are booing still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's probably just remnant of the Anaheim crowd that came down to San Diego because it's only an hour and a half drive and all all of that. So you get mm-hmm. the same pool of people week in and week out. Uh, I talked to both guys in the post-race press conference and asked them, you know, they're two dudes that are known to race other guys pretty rough and close, what they thought about it because they're fine with it. And they both said, hey, we're going for wins here. This is what you're going to do. They would do it to anybody else. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, if it was anyone else but Fernandez, the crowd would be cheering. So it's, it's lame. It's still it's lame that it's still going on for sure. Mm-hmm. for sure yeah big props to dylan for racing through all that and maintaining his composure on the podium i mean i know if i kept getting booed i might 
I might uh, bust out some inappropriate hand gestures or something, but oh yeah, for sure. But uh, but yeah, I mean, the guy, as far as you know, in my capacity as a journalist, he's a pleasure to deal with. You know, he's he's not he's not the most approachable guy, but he's always professional and and you know gives me the quote in the interview when I when I ask of it, ask him for one. Mm-hmm. When we but, were at the Toyota Escondido thing Thursday night, you know, I talked to Jimmy Button, who's his agent for quite a while, and I was like, "Is this obviously it's not playing on his mind? Like, it doesn't seem like Dylan really cares about it now." I think maybe the first race after that all happened at Arizona, he was maybe a little hesitant and didn't want to get too frisky with anybody at risk of reigniting that probation or whatever. But with this one, he's just racing now. It doesn't seem like he really yeah. cares what anybody says or does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then at the, uh, the Toyota Escondido thing, you know, away from the races, he was pretty funny actually. You know, I was asking him about, you know, his truck that he drives and he says, he said it has an awesome, well, what's the name of the brand that, exhaust that sponsor them all is a car or something car carveen or something like that yeah car, yeah he's always has a loud exhaust and when i start my truck in the morning my neighbors are crying <laughs> <laughs> but i mean the guy's got a good sense of humor so yeah <clears throat> anyway well so hey okay so they have like a six-week break now i mean i think there's an advantage to riding west because then you get to get a head start on your outdoor testing but for sure but talk about like, you know, being on a roll and having to hit pause, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, good for some guys like you know McAdoo needs to heal up and regroup after his bad couple of races. But for a guy like Dylan, who's you know got the momentum behind him, it's kind of a buzzkill, I think. Yeah, I would say so too. And none of the three guys, you know, Justin Cooper, Austin, or Dylan, are going to race a four fifty like you know, what people used to do in the past to stay sharp. And that's surprising Mm -hmm. for Dylan considering, you know, he will be a 450 guy next year no matter what, but that shows how important Mm -hmm. this upcoming Nationals thing is because they test for three months for Supercross and then maybe get six weeks of testing in for the Nationals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Justin Cooper, uh, Justin in third place, you know, coming from, uh, you know, he didn't get a terrible start, but he, by the time he got into third, he didn't have anyone to base off, you know, to chase down. Kind of a lonely ride for him. And you could tell he was pretty disappointed at the end of the night. Um, I think he's pretty anxious to get his second career win under his belt. Mm-hmm. And the other thing with him, too, it's just after such a good start to the season to see things kind of shape up just how they have two guys that were struggling at the first rounds now starting to click wins off. And then he's lost a little bit of momentum and a little bit of ground, but he said he's not really yeah. worried about it in the press conference. Like not having the championship lead going into this break doesn't matter one way or another to him. He just needs to yeah, get a win to close. keep in there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause third place finishes still... wouldn't, aren't going to cut it. Yeah. Well, Anton, what's your prediction for uh, how West finishes out? I think as they go on that break and they come back, it'll probably be those same three guys always at the front. Uh, mm-hmm. Ferrandis and Forkner are pretty far ahead. And I think for Cooper, this isn't a knock, but this is really his only second Supercross season. You know, that first year mm-hmm. he missed all of it because he crashed at Houston, came back last year and was good. But 
had those big battles with Sexton and Forkner on the East Coast. So this is a good deal for him. You know, it takes some guys two, three, four years to advance into that championship role. So this is a great start for him. And then next year he should be in the mix even more because Forkner will be probably in his last 250 year next year. So those mm-hmm. two get to dice it out while Ferrandis advances on. Yeah. Hey, so while these guys, while these three guys start testing for outdoors, a guy like Luke Clout, is he just going to keep riding Supercross and maybe come into the next round with a little more confidence? So there's a lot going on with that right now. Um, Pinwright Honda just released a, a statement last night or earlier this morning that said that Clout's going to stay in the U.S. for this whole 250 right. West Coast deal. And that wasn't the plan. He was supposed to go back to Australia after this race to pick up on the Australia National Championship, their outdoor series. Because remember, the seasons mm-hmm. are flipped there to here. Yeah, And they've gotten it all taken care of now with Honda Australia for Luke to stay here. Where he stays now seems to be what's up in the air. Is he going to stay in Southern California and be based where the team is with Jamie Ellis's Twisted Development Shop? Or are they going to send him to North Carolina so he can be with Brayton and work at Club MX and come up under that? So kind of a double-edged oh, okay. sword there because for Brayton, that would be a great thing to educate Clout and show this guy like, hey, this is what American Supercross is like and get in the routine of all that stuff. But then on the flip side of that, they're going to be teammates and they're going to race each other come the end of the year when it's time to go back to Australia. So is Brayton (laughs) going to make like his super rival in the process of them spending these next few weeks together in North Carolina? Yeah. Hey, is, uh, is clouds, uh, performances this year, are they surprising? Um, or did you expect him to be about where he is having spent time with him this winter in uh, Australia? I figured he'd be where he was. I figured it would take a little bit while to get like a while to get going because he hadn't done American Supercross in so long. Going from the Yamaha to the Honda 450 to the 250 and then just getting mm-hmm. caught up in how things are in those first few races. Like, yeah, not having Jet and Christian there have taken two guys away from him. But like a five to seventh place guy is where I figured he would be, especially once we got into the series. Um, mm-hmm. So this isn't like a huge, huge surprise. If he was... A top three guy right off the bat, I'd be like, whoa. But yeah. the talent pool in Australia and their Supercross series, I mean, even their Supercross practice tracks are nothing compared to what we have here. So the fact mm-hmm. that he's made that much of an advancement that fast, maybe six weeks of riding prior to Anaheim 1, I mean, that's a that's a really, really good sign of progression. Yeah. And then uh, another uh, a heartbreaking development for uh, – or even the Penrite Honda crew is uh, Mitch Oldenburg's knee injury. Um, where does that leave uh, leave our pal Uriev right now? So the good thing for Mitchell is, um, I talked to him pretty extensively on Saturday, it's a partial tear of his ACL, but the meniscus is torn. So they're going to do some therapy over these next few weeks and get everything maintenanced out so he can just kind of nurse it through the end of the Supercross season after Salt Lake and then immediately go through surgery then. So Mitchell should be fine. He'll stay sharp and do some riding in a few weeks after some therapy. And Mm -hmm. he plans to finish out the Supercross season. And then as soon as it's over in early May, get surgery on his knee, spend the summer resting up, and then around September be good to go back to Australia to raise the championship down there. So Mm. not ideal, but everything works out okay. And then for Mitchell, Mm -hmm. also maybe a well-timed injury if there ever could be one because they're planning to leave California and move to Texas this week to be closer to his and his wife's family. So 
get that therapy in, learn where the tracks are, figure out what his routine is going to be down in Texas while he goes through all of these big changes. I think actually it could time Mm -hmm. out better instead of being like, right now we're going to move and I need to ride and I need to stay sharp and do all these things. He can maybe ease into this new way instead of just go, go, go right off the bat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mitchell needs to get into the CVAC, huh, Chase? Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, okay. So, uh, Anton, let's take a break to hear from our sponsors and uh, come back and we'll talk about the big four or five O's. All right. Out here on the edge, failure is no option. Here, you don't compromise. Off-road, on-road, on the track, off the grid. Sunstar sprockets and brake discs come installed in more motorcycles and all-terrain vehicles than any other in the world, period. The engineers who design your bike trust and spec Sunstar for the same reason you should. Because here, on the edge, failure is no option. Sunstar, number one in sprockets and brake discs. Hey, it's Bo Han, team manager of the Monster Energy Star Racing Yamaha team. Works Connection has been building the best aluminum parts in motocross for over 30 years. From the awesome Pro Launch Start device to their original axle blocks. Works Connection parts are designed and produced in California, and we are proud to use them on our factory race bikes in Supercross and Motocross. Check them out at worksconnection.com. What's up? This is Christian Craig. As a motocross racer, being in top physical shape is a must, and my favorite way to train is cycling. And whether it's road biking or mountain biking, I rely on Roy Cyclery to keep my bikes in perfect running order. Roy Cyclery has been servicing Old Town Upland, California since 1962. Mention the Swap Moto Life podcast for additional discounts in the shop. What's up, Swap Moto fans? The Toyota Escondido Action Sports Team supports some of the biggest racers in the sport, like Aaron Plessinger, Shane McElrath, Dean Wilson, Axel Hodges, Colt Nichols, Brian Deegan, and more. With over two decades of supporting racers, we've become known as the place to buy a Toyota truck in Southern California. Toyota Escondido is a proud sponsor of the Swap Moto Live Show, and all you have to do to get the best deal on a quality Toyota truck is mention the show and tell them you want the action sports special. Check us out online at toyotaescondido.com for more. All right, guys, so we're back. Let's uh, recap the 450 class from the San Diego Supercross. Uh, this was a big win for Cooper Webb, pretty well timed because everything that I had heard into the week was Red Bull KTM knows this is the chance that he needed to carry into the East Coast, get a win now so those top three guys don't get too far away and a great duel with Adam. So, Don, you and I are on the floor. We get to hear the whole race go on as, you know, you can hear the crowd cheer as those two guys go around. Adam jumps Mm -hmm. out to an early lead. Cooper gets in there, and it's like Loretta's 2012 all over again. Or, I'm sorry, those guys are racing. Yeah, Loretta's by then, yeah. Yeah, I was was pumped to see Cooper get a win. You know, like, think about last year. He didn't win until round three, and then it kind of, kind of opened the floodgates you know because he got confident and uh knew he could win and you know i think anton you and i were kind of talking like jason anderson's championship defense was cut far short by an injury but you know to see see a a a champion with number one not winning races is kind of weird but uh good to see him get his first win and like i i think he's going to win a bunch this year Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he seems to be healthy now. Yeah, seems to be healthy now, and he's confident and looks good on the bike. 
Yeah, was this the one? Is he just going to start just back to his old self from the end of last year? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think yeah. that everything that they've been planning on is just getting through those six races and then get to the East Coast where he knows the tracks are going to break down in a different way. Coop's not really mm-hmm. a hard pack guy by all measures. You know what I mean? Like, Phoenix was okay, but I, I don't remember Cooper ever being this, like, standout dude when the tracks are super hard and slick like they are out here or out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for, for you, Chase, because you watched on TV, Cooper was going 4-4 through those whoops and Adam was going 3-3. Could you tell yep. on TV that he was making up a huge amount of time? Oh yeah, oh yeah. As soon as they'd get to the, that's even. I mean, even Ricky was saying it, and Ralph. Uh, it was pretty obvious that's where he was catching him. But uh, yeah, it's just it's cool to see him back to how I remember watching him race. I was, I maybe out of the maybe in the odd bunch, but I was just a little confused as to how he's gone the last couple of rounds. But uh, yeah, it was good to see him out there. Mm-hmm. Um, for Coop, for Adam, I mean that was a huge because he got out, got the whole shot, and started clicking off laps right away. Chase, could you see on TV where there was one spot where, other than the whoops, where Cooper was really making up a lot of time, or was it he was just wearing Adam down there? Because towards the middle part of that moto, it was obvious that it was going to come down to those two in those last few laps. Yeah, no, I mean really just the whoop section. I couldn't tell too too, uh, too much through any other part of the track but yeah you know and i would never want to you know question adam's fitness because you know he's obviously in shape but perhaps uh he wasn't used to racing in the lead for that long of a race you know because he obviously won the monster cup motos but those were shorter Mm -hmm. um maybe uh maybe got a little tired or slowed down or loss of focus i don't know but cooper uh cooper seemed like he got stronger as that race went on yeah yeah for sure yeah there were a couple times where cooper went to make pass attempts and you could tell that adam switched up his riding and went defensively and just was blocking lines and doing that and we all know when you start doing stuff like that then you start losing time so then maybe Mm -hmm. that even played into cooper's favor a lot too um the big thing on adam he said that you know he's been doing this forever he's been practicing for these 20 minute races him and nick have been working it out but he breaks the race up into two parts it's those first 10 minutes and then that last long push to the finish line um despite the fact that you know every race is 20 minutes plus a lap lap times at san diego were like 50 51 seconds so that's a long time it's just kind of like a hamster wheel just going around and around and around and maybe even that plays mm-hmm. into the mental side of it too where these guys are like oh my god i gotta hit this section again like don you remember riding at star west when it was small and you're just like five laps here feel or 10 laps there feels like forever. Cause you just get dizzy riding so much. <laughs> yeah. Hamster wheel. Yeah. Have a trail for sure. So, uh, what do you make of, uh, Ken Rockson's evening? I mean, he comes out, spanks the heat and then it just looked like he couldn't get things going in the main event. Uh, was unable to get him for hours a weekend. Cause uh, as usual, you know, when a top guy has a bad night, he just kind of bottles up in his, uh, motor coach but um did you did you hear anything at all anton no not really um to be honest i had more attention paid towards like the cooper adam battle and then the barsha tomac war that was going on right behind those guys (laughs) so like that whole dynamic of the two guys up front and then the two guys further back kind of allowed 
Baggett to get in a third and then Roxon to get in a fourth and just kind of sat there. You know, they didn't really do too much else. But for the Roxon thing, how fast he was in that heat race, I was like, oh, yeah, this could be another one. Maybe one thing yeah, we I'll... don't. One thing we maybe don't not think about, though, you know how everybody always used to think like, oh, Kenny gets through Anaheim, too, and it's all these things. That's a San Diego is a pretty rough one for him, though, too, because remember, he gets his arm stuck in Cooper's wheel and then he gets sick there last year, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that's one of those like, let's just get through this one unscathed and then go on from there. Um, That was a huge change in the points, though for Roxon because like a week ago, two well, weeks got ago. got one point now, right? Yeah. Like a week ago, two weeks ago, I was like, Ooh. dude, him and him and Eli are starting to pull away with this thing. Like it's going to get pretty stretched out here and it's going to come down to a two rider fight. If these guys keep clicking off wins at this pace and then a night like San Diego happens, Cooper gets a win, those guys finish further back and then it's all tied up really close again. Mm-hmm. Definitely yeah, can't for like nine down. Yeah, I think it's like nine. It's not very many. It, especially as we go into this, there's not a lot of room, and this is the best time of year. Like everybody, Atlanta, Dallas, Daytona, Tampa, those four races when you get to this part of the year is when everybody's going to set. It's going to be those three guys to pull away. And it sucks because Anderson, who had been, you know, maybe that wild card guy, he's totally out of the equation now too. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what do you – I think he fell at least twice, maybe three times in that man of that. Mm-hmm. Even on the last lap, he, I don't even know – he rode right next to me off the track and then hit the finish line. Like he made a mistake even at the end. So I think that was one of those, like nothing goes right motos and it just keeps going bad to worse to worse. Yeah. There was a point in the main one. I thought area was going to beat him. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of one of those nights because like, if you rewatch the heat race, him and Baggett get into it and they make contact and then it blows the spokes out of Jason's front wheel. So then he just nurses the bike home that last lap, just doubling stuff and then just barely making it, you know, fend it off of that charge from Malcolm at the finish line to get that one position to get a better gate pick. Like it was a chaotic night for Jason and probably one of those that he'll look back on and be like, yeah, that's kind of where the season could have went bad or good. He just has to build from it yeah. or kind of spiral out of control. Or Speaking of chaotic, I want to I talk about Barsha. Because I wasn't able to be there, so I wasn't able to see some of the drama that unfolded on Friday and Saturday. <laughs> so on that you Davalos about, thing, uh, Barsha and Davalos. Yeah, Davalos and then Tomei. Yeah, so I guess Barsha and Davalos have had some run-ins this year already, but uh, I think uh, well, I saw it on Buttery's Instagram, but I think he filmed it off of probably Travis Fant's video. Um, it looked like uh, Davalos kind of cross-jumped Barsha. <laughs> and Barsha just came back and did a textbook, like sweep the front tire out from under him in the next corner. Um, <laughs> but after the first uh, after the first press day, Moto finished, you know, Justin pulls out and stops. I'm, he's kind of like almost in front of me. And Davalos came running up to him and was trying to push him off his bike, or riding up to him and trying to push him off his bike. And, I I think I saw Barsha like do like crying fists by his eyes and then <laughs> then threw his arms up in the air like you know I'm not going to engage I'm not going to touch you and Bart Davalos is pushing him and pushing him but uh, yeah I didn't uh, I didn't hear what they were saying but Davalos was obviously fired up and uh, and then Justin shook his head and rode away over to where the mechanics were and Davalos followed him and then I've heard several 
reports from people that were there that Davos was saying, uh, take your helmet off, take your helmet off. And Chad Reed was egging it on saying, Hey, it's my last year. I want to see a fight. Do something guys. <laughs> so yeah, but, I, I don't know. right before all that like happened, I was talking to Martin. I'm like, Hey, so like, how's everything going? And he was bummed over last week because I guess that's when a lot of this really started between him and Barsha, like him and Barsha got into it. And Martin was on the bad end of it this time. So maybe that, you know, crossover jump was a little bit of payback for it. And so then Justin doesn't play that way. I did like the hands in the air, though, that Justin did when Martin grabbed the chin bar of the helmet. That yeah. was, like, perfectly played because everybody always, you know, thinks that Barsha, he is the instigator in the riding, but then they get into the right. tunnel and stuff like that, and he doesn't ever, he's smart enough not to take it too far because then that's where points are really going to get taken away. Uh-huh. But, yeah, Martin is fired up. And this is something that I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. Uh-oh. So, yeah, watch <laughs> yeah. that. But, uh, yeah, the main event, uh, the main event block classes traded between uh, Tomac and Barsha were pretty good. Uh, you know, when you're down on the floor shooting photos, you hear the crowd roar, and my first instinct is to look at the Jumbotron and see what's going on. So, yeah, even though I was floor level and didn't see it firsthand, I saw it on the screen. And uh, pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah, that was probably just Tomac more so just saying, hey, you slowed us both down, I imagine, than actually getting angry with him. Yeah. After the uh, after the race, I guess Tomac hit Barsha pretty good because his wrist was uh, – he actually had like an abrasion on his wrist. Oh. And they're I- icing it. And he, I guess after the race they had some words and uh, – Barsha was saying something like Eli was saying, Oh, let's, let's not get started like this. And Barsha's like, well, <laughs> don't ride like that. If you don't want to get started. Cause you know, <laughs> I'm good at this kind of stuff, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I thought that was pretty good though. I think yeah, that kind of stuff makes the sport more interesting. You know, like if nobody, oh, for sure. nobody touches anyone, there's no block passes. It's kind of boring. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, let's let's get rid of the participation trophy mentality and let's get some bar banging out there. Yeah. You know the thing about Eli, too, that people don't really think about, but go look at all of his passes. He races you close, but you never see him mm-hmm. racing with Barsha. So maybe what it was is Eli put a close pass on, but not, like, dirty, and Barsha not understanding, like, oh, it's Eli, that's how he passes everybody. It's just like, no, I instantly have to play it back and go do that guy just as hard as he just got me. I think maybe that's what it is because Eli's not one to just like clean somebody out. He just rides you high and kills your momentum and then takes off. Mm -hmm. So it could have been a lot of that. I would be interested to see how those two play together, though, as this goes on because Barsha's going to have to really start making moves for the win to get back into the championship chase. And Eli's, is he going to play into that or is he going to try to steer clear totally? I don't know. I know that uh I know that Barsha is pretty confident right now. Um he's expressed that to me several times that he's uh he's been he's actually been doing a lot of suspension testing during the week. Um and uh I know that he tested with my brother Ross a couple times last week and the week before. Made mention of that to me about how happy he was. But I do know that he wanted more comfort out of his bike and Ross suggested a couple things and then at the track Saturday, I think he went back to his original setting because the comfort he got was allowing the fork to move a little bit too much. 
So mm-hmm. he wanted he wanted control over comfort. But uh, regardless, he's making good progress with his bike, and that's having a positive impact on his confidence and mindset. So, I mean, I would I would hate to see Justin win the opener, get second at the second race, and then just kind of fade out. I want to yeah. see him get, get more wins and run up front and, uh, you know, battle where he should be. Agreed. Hey, has Aaron uh, been doing some testing too? Because he looked pretty good this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he worked with uh, Ross and Sergio as well last week. Last um, week. He, what, he was running third for a few laps yeah. in the race. And uh, then, uh, you know, he crashed. He said he made a mistake and fell. But he also told me after the race that running up front like that, it was refreshing and eye-opening for him to know that he has the speed. So, uh, Oh, yeah, because he was that, right there with Led, so. Yeah, so that did uh, – I think that race, even though it didn't end up well for him, I think that it did – did uh did some wonders for his confidence so it'd be nice to see him up front as well yeah you know and he went down but he didn't fall apart after he went down he got back up rejoined mm-hmm. it as quick as he could got back in the hunt of things he didn't just go like all right i fell now time to fight for like 12th 13th place like he went back into his race pace too mm-hmm. and especially as we go yeah. east coast like this is prime time for him to start clicking things off you know atlanta's gonna be soft daytona which is where he got hurt last year. I mean, those are the two races that were going to be the most indicative of how good he would be on a 450. So it'll be interesting to see later on in this month where he's at. So um, other big news on that note would be Justin Hill, Malcolm Stewart, those guys kind of going for it because they got up in the front too. Like I posted that photo on Instagram today. If you look at the top five guys in the first laps of that 450 main, it's Cooper, it's Adam, Blessinger, Barger, uh, Hill, and Malcolm. So that's a lot of 250 class champions in the past that are all running up front. So yeah, with that many guys, like that shows the 250 class is producing a lot of talent, and these younger guys that are in the mix right now have the pace to run at the front of the field, especially over these established veterans like Rox and Tomac, Barsha, dudes that have been at it for so long. Mm-hmm. Hey, did you see the video of Cast? Uh, 250 Supercross champ Justin Hill warming up, like punching the uh, punching the tough block and kicking it and stuff. The shadow boxing that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty so rough. good. Did you see the one from Dangerous. Oakland? No. Oh, yeah, okay. I saw the Oakland. The Oakland one is good because then he drops a shoulder into the wall, like he really is going uh-huh. for it. Then into the wall, wall or one of the foam walls. It's one of the foam walls, but yeah, he's getting into it and he just like gives it a roundhouse kick, like drops a shoulder, like the whole bit. Like he really went to work on the thing. Hey, did any of you see that clip of him, how he was hitting that rhythm uh, right after the start? The wheel tap? Yeah, that that was dirty. That was rad. You know, that's something. uh... Go ahead, Don. Yeah, he's he's crazy talented. Um, I, I mean, dude. You watch him; he's always qualifying really well and stuff. I just, uh-huh. uh, I kind of wonder what what goes wrong for, with wrong for him during the main events. I mean, I could probably listen to his five minute dissertation on how was your weekend, but you know, I, I just think uh, I think there's something missing for him there in, in the main events, and you know, like to be that fast and that talented. And I think he got ninth this weekend. Malcolm ended up getting him. Uh, he can't be happy with that. 
He had a hard slam yeah. in, in practice, though. And the second set of whoops, yeah. like halfway down, guys would start losing momentum, and then the back end would start dancing around, and he took a pretty hard slam. And I mean, he did that first thing in the day. So that pretty much set the tone for how the rest of the day would go. Um, and he was bummed on that because he had said last week at Oakland, like Oakland, San Diego, Tampa are my three favorite rounds. So I need to build mm-hmm. momentum here to carry that on through the next part of the season. So it sucks to see yeah. it happen that way. Uh, I would think he'll probably be with you guys at therapy. Maybe you'll have to fight him for CVAC time later in the week because he <laughs> really wants to make sure that Tampa goes well. Cause that's where this whole 450 buzz got started. Yeah. Hmm. Um, what about uh, what about uh, Malcolm? Like Malcolm got ninth. He wasn't too pumped after the race, but at the same time, he's pumped that he's a regular top ten contender. He's finished top ten in every race. Um, There's so much buzz about him, you know, after his one and a half races last year. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I. I I think I was hoping for a little bit more out of Mookie, but at the same time, you know, he's going to, if he's going to finish top 10 in every single race, I mean, you can't really be too bummed on that. Yeah. I don't think there's any, you know, Malcolm never was one of those guys that said, I'm going to be a top five guy, or I'm going to be racing for wins. He let everybody else say Mm -hmm. that around him, because if you really think about it, he's, he's, you know, he's never done a full 450 season. You know, either when yeah. he was back in the day, he would come in late, like four, five, six rounds in. And then last year was going to be his first full year, and then he gets hurt at the second round. And so you kill all yeah. that momentum. So I think he's just trying to figure out how do you get through this many races week after week after week without issue? Mm-hmm. Because he's been good. You know, he's one of only four or five guys to be in the top 10 every week. And yeah. that's pretty big considering guys like Rox and Tomac haven't done that. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So that, that's a big statement for, for Malcolm. The other thing is, too, oh. they said at Oakland, like he was flat and, like, and tired and didn't really feel that well and then fought that all day. And then in How Was Your Weekend, Don, like he told you, I got arm pump. And if you look at the lap chart, you can see where he said he got arm pump. He just drops off like five minutes in. And then it all just mm-hmm. kind of goes sideways there. And then later in the race, he stabilizes and then gets back into it. But when you get arm pump and there's that many fast guys behind you that early in the race, like, of course you're going to go backwards. So I think he just kind of, everything went against him this time and he did what he could, but a ninth place finish on that. I mean, on a bad night, that's still a solid result. Yeah. I think he got eighth, right? Yeah. yeah, He got eighth and he'll got, he got eighth till his ninth. Yeah. uh, Do you think he's leaving maybe some on the, some on the table or just not racing at a hundred percent just to try and get through this whole season? I would have to think so. Because, like, even in the whoops, it's not like this gnarly whoop speed every single week like it was at those first few races. Like, he's just kind of settling in. And, you know, I mean, he was hurt. He got hurt after, what was it, St. Louis? So he was injured and all that, kind of going through some things there. So it's not exactly been great, you know. Um, So he's figuring it out. I think that that's fine. And, again, he's never been one to say, like, I'm going to win races. Everybody else said that for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think he does expect himself to be around the top five. Mm-hmm. He's waiting to get back up in the top five, and I think that would be good. Um, I mean, the guy is definitely in shape. You know, I spent all of uh, you know the weekdays a couple weeks ago with him before Oakland for the seven project, and he's training, he's training, he's eating well, and uh, doing everything that old Swanee asked him to do. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, I don't know. So, hey, Anton, you got to talk to Baggett after the race. He had to have been pretty stoked with his first podium, right? Yeah, and he had said um, in the press conference and in other places, you know, there's all that talk about how much technology and information gets shared between, like, Red Bull KTM and then Rocky Mountain KTM. Him and Webb, for the first time in a long time, got to test and practice together. So now he's riding with that same circle of guys. Maybe if he gets down mm-hmm. to Florida, maybe they absorb that whole program together where him and Roxon or him and Osborne ride together maybe at Alden's place one day or his own place. Wishful thinking maybe because those guys have been so independent, but it doesn't hurt to share settings and do all this stuff because they are in the same thing. I think for Baggett, yeah. though, it's one of those races where you're like, eh, don't get too excited one way or another about it because who knows what it could be two weeks from now. You know, after Phoenix, mm-hmm. uh, he was pretty pissed. He had told Craig Monty, like, we're going to do a lot of suspension testing and we're going to go through all these things. They go into the next race with a whole new a whole new setup and they see what's going on and it gets better and better. You know, he was close to winning. I mean, he was close to the front in Anaheim too if he'd not hit that curb and smacked his face. Yeah. You know, so who knows like what Blake could be capable of, you know, that one podium you're like, okay, this could go either way. Yeah. But he yeah. didn't seem like he got too excited about it. And even when I asked like, Hey, you know, East coast guy, are you excited for that? He's like, all the tracks are the same now. Like Blake's pretty even demeanored in everything he's doing. Yeah. Hey, how about the picture that, uh, we ran on our Instagram of Blake after he took his helmet off? That's been, yeah, he looks like uh, an anamorph. <laughs> he looks like what? Like an anamorph. Do you remember those where, like, they kind of, like, the creature turns into, like, it's a person that turns into a creature, like, in the comic books? <laughs> yeah. It looks like the, yeah. like, the uh, monster horns under his head are, like, poking through. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> did you see the picture, Chase? The, the, the yeah. You know, the, the imprints? The imprints on his head from the helmet yeah. padding on the, uh. God, what are the things in the fly helmet called? Rion. Rion. Yeah, that, that that thing. They leave these circles on his head. I told Anton <laughs> he looked like C-3PO. <laughs> he even has, like, the outline of the face foam from the goggles around his eyes, too. So he must, like, really yeah. like a tight-fitting helmet. Yeah. Yeah, so. that's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Speaking of guys who like tight-fitting helmets, Chad Reed uh, shows up at San Diego with the Chargers outfit on and the Chargers are gone. But, you know, it's a throwback to his, I think it was his store kit with the Chargers back in the day. Um, dude, the guy makes it through the heat directly. He doesn't have to go to the LCQ and he's got broken ribs. And a stacked heat too. That was a fast yeah. heat. So uh, I think uh, I think that was cool for him to be in the main, but I think he pulled off, said his ribs hurt a little bit too bad. But um, hey, man. Props to him for going out there and toughing it out. Broken ribs can't be easy, especially in back-to-back whoop sets like that. Mm-hmm. And I think we all kind of were like, hey, does he do this or not because of how these last few weeks had gone. You know, he rode press day at, on Friday and was going to decide what was going to happen from there based on that. Yeah, I could barely – I couldn't get footage of him for the press day video because he was rolling everything, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking <laughs> there's no way he's racing because even last week when I saw him at Fox and was interviewing him for the – the Fox feature uh, video on his gear. He said, like, I hope I get to race. I hope I get cleared, you know, like kind of already hinting that he wasn't going to race because his ribs hurt, but lo and behold, he lined up. So good for him. He pulled off in the um, final practice session. And I was like, Oh, here we go. Like it's probably not going to happen. He's probably not going to be able to do it, but it turns out there was a bike issue. So between 
that second practice in the night show, all of his mechanics swapped out a brand new engine, put it in. So they really hustled to get it all done. I mean, not as bad as the Yamaha guys had to do for Barsha at Oakland, but still a lot of work to get done to make sure everything's right before he went back down to the line. So that was a good effort by Chad. I think that maybe that's a boost of confidence that he can just rely on natural talent and get through every now and then. Yeah. So. Hey, what did you guys think of the, uh, you know, obviously San Diego's military appreciation weekend. Um, so a lot of the bikes and the gear sets and everything. Uh, what was everyone's favorite get up? Ooh. I'm pretty partial to that fly gear because, uh, it just looked cool. I think like the colors, especially with like a white Husky, like for Osborne and Moseman, it looked really good together. Even looked good for Mm -hmm. Brayton, you know, green and red typically looks like Christmas tree colors and that looked good together. Um, I thought the Thor stuff was cool. The fact that they matched the bikes to the gear each time, like the Hep Suzuki guys had the red kit to go with the red graphics. And then the star Mm -hmm. guys had blue graphics to go with the blue gear. So that all coordinated pretty well instead of it being way too different. And then even the same thing for, you know, Honda and Honda did it with both their gear guys, you know, Brayton's bike matched the fly gear, Roxon's gear matched his Fox gear. And then, you know, Penrite Honda did the whole second graphic set for their gear to match with, uh, the bike. Yeah. So, uh, I think what's uh, during practice and qualifying, the Penrite bikes had a lot of army green on it with a big fly logo. But I think that there was some worry about Honda being upset about there being too much green on it. So they switched to, to a different graphic kit. It still had those colors in it, but far less of it for uh, nighttime racing. Mm-hmm. I actually like the the kit with the the less green on it. I think it looks pretty clean. But I like the Pro Circuit. I like how they the little exhaust plugs they put on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty creative. That's cool. The rivet, the rivet graphics and all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. had all the little details in the graphics too, like for the VP fuel, for like put the gas here and all that other stuff. Like the, uh-huh. I think those might have been the best like overall package. Yeah. Yeah, I like the uh I like the green camo fly gear. But man, like I think it was the two fifty main I was watching. And there was like six guys all in a row, all wearing the same kit, and it's like, man, <laughs> I didn't realize how many guys actually wore fly out there, yeah. you know. And um I was like, I forgot what it was. It was somebody was catching the group of them. And I think, and I remember thinking, oh, he's not going to know who he's passing because they're all dressed the same. <laughs> but uh, no, I think that kit was legit though. I mean, I actually, I actually emailed uh, James Kramer at Fly and I was like, hey, I want a set of the green camel pants, but I want a pair of the black jersey because it's too much green. But I mm. think, uh, I think that might look kind of cool. Yeah, that'll look good. But um. But actually, as far as bike graphics go, <laughs> I like the JGR bikes. You know, they had the... Really? Uh, did, did you see the details of the shroud? Uh, they had like a Navy had, picture in there, right? Yeah, a frogman on the on the radiator shroud. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool. cool. Which I found Who funny. Who uh, Armored guys? Yeah. Is that Armored? It's the, it's the graphic company that's just down the street from JGR. Right, okay. I, I think it's them. But yeah, that, that was super cool, I thought. And... Uh, as far as far as the gear, I mean, I know it was military, but dude, how about Hanny's gear on Preston? Oh my Padres, gosh, that stuff was awesome. Good. Yeah, we Anton, we looked at lunch. Uh, Chase looked it up on his phone at lunch, and all the 
I think there's only 26 sets of that shift Padres gear and it's all sold out except 38 double XL. So, so like, Hey, we could have Dahmer, Dahmer could be the, the big Padre. Dahmer would look like I the San Diego I mean, chicken though. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to get it and then just run it through the dryer a couple of times and see how much they can shrink it off. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't work, though, without the helmet. And the helmet was like, uh, back and told me that Dave Durham was at behind shift rattle canning that thing. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good. How about all the kooks that got mad that Hanny was in press day? Dude, I can't believe that. I mean, that's lame. I mean, guys are like, it, it goes back to the people like, the soft ass people complaining about the block passing, you know? Oh, yeah. Hanson's out there taking a valuable press day slot away from a privateer. You know, mm-hmm. press day isn't for the riders. Press day is for the press. Right. And so the press gets a chance to interview the riders, take photos and videos of the riders and stuff. And like, dude, what member of the media doesn't want to photograph and video and talk to Josh Hansen? Right. Regardless of yeah. whether he's racing in the event or not, you know? Um, I think there's too many um, soccer fans that are in the motocross all of a sudden. <laughs> soccer moms. Soccer yeah. Fans. Soccer. <laughs> soccer and soft. It was weird. I talked to, uh, I, I think that that like, whole situation with Hanny got blown out of proportion and maybe a misunderstanding because, you know, Schiff goes through all that effort to get that gear made and then they have no guy ride on it. You know, they did right. all that stuff for Jet and for Hunter or for Jet and for Christian, and then it was just going to sit there and be wasted. So cool of them to get that through. But the whole I talked to Sean Brennan at Feld. The whole San Diego Supercross press day was heavy hitter guys for a reason. They put a lot of emphasis mm-hmm. on that race. Like that race is a crown jewel for Feld. It's in downtown San Diego. The backdrop's great. That's like the destination race for all of California, more, even more so than mm-hmm. Anaheim is now. And so they wanted all of the top guys there. So, like, Slip Hansen in, it really is not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. It's just people wanting something else to complain about in a five-page message board thread. Yeah. And then maybe it wasn't Hanny taking away a slot from a deserving privateer. Maybe they just added a slot for Hanny. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's not like Hanny's, like, really going to be sharp to go race on Saturday night. Like, he got this extra 15 minutes to learn the lines. Like, it, it doesn't matter. It's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like I asked, uh, ooh, I remember who it was, but I asked one of the, the factory riders who was there. I was like, hey, is riding press day a huge advantage? You know, going into uh, going into Saturday. And he goes, it's only an advantage for the first three laps of the first practice because you know what to jump. After yeah. that, it's the same for everybody. It's not it's not some huge benefit to be riding press day. And for, for many of the riders, it's a pain in their ass, you know, because they don't want to mm-hmm. ride an extra day or fly in extra early to, uh, to get there. So, and then not even get to ride the whole track. You know, sometimes you get yeah, there, yeah, and yeah. you never get to hit the whoops. There might be a rhythm section that's not done. So it's like, okay, we went through all this effort. I have to like short course, half the track. So it's not like this big advantageous thing that they think it is. I yeah. thought it was just a, you carve up the finish line and carve the fattest whip off of it. That's basically <laughs> all it seems like. Yeah. That's what it breaks down to eventually. So anyway, boo-hoo to those people that were sad about Josh Hansen being there. Yep. And I just checked on shift right now, guys, and the 38 and 2XL jersey is gone. Well, Dahmer probably ordered it. 
Oh, he probably did, yeah. He's completely sold out now. <laughs> so after the race, you know, Anton and I have to scour the pits for how was your weekend. Um, then from there, Anton drove while I edited the video in the passenger seat. We go straight to Peterson's Donuts. We both buy a donut, and we're leaving, and I check my Instagram, and uh, a guy named Jake Kinney listened to our podcast last week and our offer of buying you guys donuts after the race, and he actually showed up early and didn't wait long enough for us. It was his first experience at Peterson's, and he said it was magical. So <laughs> stoked here somebody at least came. <laughs> I miss Peterson's already. Yeah. But, um, oh, hey, Anton, uh, you got to get to Tuesday kickstart, so it's not Tuesday kickstart. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to actually jump in the truck and go visit Big Brother Ross, who had a little routine surgery. Um, my contributions to kickstart are loaded. Ready to go. So uh, let's wrap this bad boy up. And uh, looking forward to Tampa. Looking forward to the first East Coast. Can't wait to see Shane McElrath race his star Yamaha. Chase Sexton on the Honda running number one. Get to see my homeboy Joe Shimoda make his debut in Supercross. And uh, a lot of things to look forward to. You know, and then just Josh Hill. Coming back to uh, 250 Supercross and yeah. Rock Pickle making his return to competition. It's going to be a big weekend. It's mm-hmm. going to be worth the painful red-eye flight on Frontier Airlines to get there. You don't even know how painful that's going to be. <laughs> you know what? After you said that, when I when I got the email, I upgraded to like a better seat or whatever, but it's probably going to still stink, right? It's going to be rough. Don't, don't get your expectations <laughs> too high. <laughs> right on. Well, hey, thanks, everyone, for listening to the uh, Kickstart podcast brought to you by Bob Weber and crew at 60 Helmets. And uh, talk to you next Monday. In 2013, 60 Helmets forever changed the way we think about motorcycle safety helmets. With its patented omnidirectional suspension system to help absorb rotational impacts, the original ATR1 helmet swept through the industry and was received with open arms by riders and racers alike. The new 60 ATR2 and ATR2U are even better than the original and carry a limited three-year warranty and a unique technology that allows the helmet to be rebuilt after most crashes. Visit 60helmets.com for more info.